Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. This is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only Mr. Gary Gennetti. Hey, David. What is going on? Where are you? I mean, I know, you know, you split your time between New York and LA and you're all, <laughs> you know, over. I'm out and about. David. Uh, I'm out and about. Yes. Well, I am here in New York. Listen, it's always, I'm always excited to talk to like a fellow, like true and tried New Yorker. You're from I New am. York. Like, that's yeah. just like, I just love when I talk to someone else that's like from New York. Yeah, I hear it's your great. accent. Where are you from? Well, I grew up between New York and Connecticut, like, you know, divorced okay. parents. So I went oh. to like high school in Connecticut. Like when you have a oh, parent that lives okay. in Connecticut. Yeah. But Glamorous. New York and Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. You know how it is. It sounds, <laughs> Gary, it sounds glamorous. Let me tell you. I always wanted to be the child of divorce. I was like, I was jealous about it. You know, I went to uh, Catholic school and there were very few divorced kids. I mostly saw them on TV, but their lives looked so fabulous. I was like, that would be amazing to have two homes. It sounds great until you're a, a gay child of a certain age growing up in the suburbs of Connecticut. And maybe in 2022, that is just a fabulous thing. But let me tell you, back in the I day, it is you. not. Yeah. In Queens, it wasn't so great either. So listen, here it is. I read it. Start without me. Oh, yeah. Oh, thanks. Let's just show the book. Now, listen, congratulations. You are now a two-time New York Times bestselling author. I mean. Thanks, David. Yeah, that was fun. I was so excited. 
I mean, listen, you've been a writer for your whole adult life. Like, is it, I mean, are you shocked? You know, you're a writer. Like, are you still shocked when like book number one comes out? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, First of all, you know, I take nothing for, you don't take anything for granted. And I, I, you know, I, I, like Lisa Rinna, you know, I'm a hustler, you know, we got to work, you know, like, it's like, you don't, yeah, you work hard for the things that mean the most to you. And, um, the fact that these books and this one start without me, we're just talking about Queens and I'm from Queens, you're from New York. So obviously you see that I write a lot about that and that it connects with anybody that people connect with it. You know, that makes me really happy, even more so than, you know, the bestseller thing, because you hope when you, you write, you know, every time it's always like, oh God, will anybody, will this mean anything to anybody? Will this connect with anybody? So when people tell tell me that, you know, they kind of had similar things or whatever, whatever, it, it feels like, oh, phew, <laughs> I'm so glad. Was this meant, because I mean, I read your first book as well. Do you mind if I cancel? Was this meant to kind of be a continuation of that? Because I mean, it feels very similar to me and tone and yeah. style. And- it's not so much a continuation as, um, you know, another iteration kind of, I guess there were more stories and moments and things that I didn't write about in the first book that I had wanted to kind of explore. So that's what this book is, but I think they each kind of stand alone and it doesn't matter if you've read one or the other, they're meant to, you know, each one kind of be each, even each essay kind of stand independently, but cumulatively. Yeah. I think it kind of maybe adds up to something more. Yeah, and it is like, it's the same time period, more or less. More or less, yes. What about, you know, listen, now I, at some point, I remembered my whole life. Now, (laughs) being of a certain age and loving my vodka martinis, I mean, it all kind of blends together for me. So where, I mean, these are so, these stories in this book are so detailed, these essays. Like, A, how do you remember every little detail of your life? And B, are these stories, like, are they all true? I mean, I know that might be a dumb question, but as as I read the first It's not a dumb question. It is all true. It's all true as I remember it. I mean, somebody might say, oh, this happened like this, but it's all true as I remember it, as all of our, you know, it's a memoir, as all of our memories are somehow kind of, you know, over time, maybe things aren't exactly as they happen, but it's how we remember them. And you'd be surprised, maybe, I don't consider myself as somebody who has this extraordinary, you know, capacity to remember all the details of my life, nor am I a particularly nostalgic person for the past. So it's kind of weird. But it you know, it's just, there are certain moments, like there's a, there's an essay called the Carol Burnett show in it. And, and I knew, I, I knew that the Carol Burnett show was something I wanted to write about because of how important it was to me. So, you know, you get to a certain age and you just, rem- there are certain things I remember that being like, they're still in my mind, you know, the Carol Burnett show, my neighbor, Irene is something else that I write about. It's like, you know, that uh, she's somebody I still think about. So it's just these things. And I would just jot down. This is something that I still, that's still a part of me. And I'm like, I wonder why it is at 50 that I still remember how important the Carol Burnett show was to me. So when you start writing about it, you kind of maybe remember things that you didn't realize you were going to remember when you start focusing on it. Do you know what I mean? That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, I know all of these little details. I'm going to write about this. It was like, what was it like at this specific time when this show was so important to me? I wonder why it was so important to me, but maybe I can find out if I write about it. It's kind of as basic as that. 
That that makes a lot of sense to me. What about like, what is the process of like writing this book like for you? I mean, you know, is it like, see you later, Brad, I'm going to go like into a cave and like wear sweatpants and just drink lots of Starbucks for like seven weeks of my Not life? Not really, or, no. no. How many weeks did you say? I, I did seven. I didn't listen, Gary, no, this is, Gary, like this nine is, months. I was going to say, well, this is why I don't have a book. I mean, it's, it's a lot, yes. Uh, no, nothing that, you know... It's easier. I think sometimes when people with writing, you know, there there people have these ideas that oh my god, this is something. Especially if you're not a writer, like it's it's a language I couldn't possibly understand what it's like. And you have certain things have to be you know in place to do it, and you have to feel like you're motivated and the muse is hitting you. You know, all of these things. But it's like that's all stuff that kind of holds you back. I just feel like it's a torture to write. I I, I hate writing. Um, I have to force myself to write. And the only way I can write is if I've procrastinated so much that the procrastination is more painful than the actual writing. Like I've tortured myself by procrastinating so much that it's like, and then I start writing and I'm like, oh, it's not as awful as I had thought it was going to be. But that's every single day I sat down. So Brad could be in the kitchen making one of his shakes with the blender that's loud. The dogs could be barking. I could, you know, people could be coming and I could just be, stop starting, you know, it's, I think, you know, and I just do, if I can get a couple of good hours a day somehow, then that's great, you know? And it's when like, okay, the, like you're so stressed out about how yeah, procrastinating and how much you, yeah, that it's just life. like, I, I've got to do something. I've got to get something on the page because I'll fall behind. And when you fall behind, it's like the idea of completing it is already daunting. So if you give yourself tiny goals, you know, completable goals, then it's kind of like, I can do this. But otherwise, yeah, because it's a daunting task to kind of take on. It's like, how do you, that's why the books are so short. <laughs> I like them though. I know. I like things short. It's all the years working in sitcoms. It's like, you think economically, I'm like, this is long enough. <laughs> well, to that point, like how is, you know, like you've written on Family Guy, Will and Grace, like how is writing a book different than like writing on a sitcom? You know, you're alone <laughs> all the time on a, on a, on a sitcom. You have a staff of people that you bounce things off of. You kind of build off of each other funnier people make you funnier you know it's kind of um it's super helpful in that way and then also when you're writing a series it's you know it's not me if I'm writing Stewie and Brian it, it's like my my thing gets filtered through these characters so I have a I'm bit I'm a bit detached, you know what I mean? I'm, and then therefore I'm, I'm a bit protected. Um, but when writing this, which are personal essays, I'm much more vulnerable too. So it's like, it's me, you know, it's, there's no layer between the two and it's just me writing it. So it feels a little bit more, um, yeah, you, it, it feels, not only is it a different way to write and it, it's a bit more isolating and also at the same time more liberating, but yeah, I, I definitely feel exposed in a way that you never do when you're writing up for TV. That makes a lot of sense to me too. What about like, has your, in, listen, your Instagram has had a moment, you know, it, way back, but during COVID, like, listen, you almost have a million followers. You have talked about things that resonate with people. These little quotes of yours really do resonate with people. And like your Instagram has a life of its own. Like, has that, you know, like that's putting yourself out there kind of it into is. ridicule. Like, has that helped? If there's one thing you guys know about me from listening to this podcast, it's that I like options and I like simplicity and I like convenience. And I have 
have to tell you, Talkspace kind of feels like having a therapist in my back pocket. I'm able to reach out to my therapist anytime from anywhere, and that makes taking care of my mental health super easy. I'm more relaxed when I'm traveling. You know I'm in the Hamptons all summer, so I mean, I'm on the go. And I just love knowing that if I need to talk to my therapist, I can just send a message from wherever I am, and hey, they respond. Also, I got to tell you, if you're thinking of therapy, you can sign up for Talkspace and you can actually start therapy the exact same day. Like I said, simplicity and results. It's a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy. As a listener of this podcast, you get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code VELVET to get $100 off your first month. That's VELVET and Talkspace.com. You know, we have all these guests on the show and everyone's been commenting about how they could hear their dogs in the background. Well, listen, I've been telling all these guests and housewives about the Revolt dog crate from Diggs and they're actually using it and they can't get enough. Listen, the Diggs Revolt dog crate is freaking amazing because it's a collapsible dog crate. You only need one hand to open and close it. That's so easy to set up and transport and when you collapse it, you can easily store it. It doesn't take up any space. You use one hand and of course it's safety tested they use baby industry standards to test so you know that your dog is your baby obviously you know and it's going to be safe in this crate it's sexy it's pretty and it looks good it actually looks like a piece of furniture now by the way it's summer and we're all traveling they also make travel crates that's right their passenger travel carrier it's like five stars for your dog while he or she is traveling www.digs.pet to get 15% off site-wide and make home comfortable for your pet with code VELVET15. That's D-I-G-G-S dot P-E-T to get 15% off site-wide with code VELVET15. You guys knew I do everything to stay young. Yeah, a couple of shots to the face never hurt anyone. But look, staying young isn't just about how you look, you know. That's why I use Metabolic Reds. They're anti-aging nutraceuticals that you drink. That's right. I use these before and after I exercise, and actually they work great as a meal replacement. Now, of course, everyone wants to live longer and healthier, and I mean, you know I'm trying to lose weight, and I need as much energy throughout the day as possible. And I'm so busy, so like for me, I love something that is all of this in one, and that is what Metabolic Reds does. They're energy drinks and shots that like, for me, it helps perfect with like that midday crash, right when I'm about to like, oh, I work at home doing this podcast, I wanna take a nap, totally picks me up. They taste awesome, and like I find they give me as much energy as like coffee. So listen, you guys have to try this. Go to GetReds.com. That's G-E-T-R-E-D-S.com slash velvet. GetReds.com slash velvet. And unlock your offer of a free Metabolic Greens with your purchase of Metabolic Reds. That's right. Go to GetReds.com slash velvet to unlock your offer of a free Metabolic Greens when you purchase Metabolic Reds. Yeah, you know, it's putting myself out there in a different way. You know, these are very personal and I'm revealing personal things about myself, whereas the Instagram is just kind of, um, you know, a persona or it's just kind of an attitude of a certain thing that I maybe say things that people think and don't realize they think until somebody else says it, if that makes any sense. You know, so it's a way to kind of a play with the form, right? So I use Instagram in a way that kind of works for me. Um, so, and the fact, and it's also nice, you know, in TV, if I have an idea, 
it, in my head, it, it might take a few years before anybody gets to see it. You know, there's no immediate gratification there. But um, in social media, if I have a thought, nobody's giving me notes on my thought. Nobody's wait. I'm not waiting to get a phone call about my thought. You know, I just think it and then I can put it out. And it's kind of nice. It, it allows you to connect very immediately with an audience, you know, for good and for bad. Totally. Do you have a favorite essay? Now, listen, I just, you know, like being in New York and gay, I grab, listen, I love your TripAdvisor review. We love the Carol <laughs> a Jack Thanks, and Smith David. reference, but I related to all of the, like, listen, you're talking about food bar and 18th and 8th and gay <laughs> oh, restaurants. Oh, yeah, I love that. Like, I liked all Jay's Hangout. I'm like, okay, I oh like all Oh, my God, did you know Jay's Hangout? I, as I've lived yeah. only really in the West Village my mm-hmm. whole adult life. So, yeah, I mean, like, I remember when the meatpacking district, A, you didn't go yeah. near there. And you're like, Florent. what is this building? I heard there's things uh-huh. that go on in here. And <laughs> so I related to all of your coming-of-age 90s gay New York stories so well. And, and, you know, Big Cup and all of this. Like, Yeah, like, Big Cup, totally. The pre-Starbucks, really pre-Starbucks. I mean, do you have a favorite essay in here? Or is that like asking you to choose amongst your... No, I mean, I'm not precious about this. Like, no, not at all. I think, you know, I like writing uh, Irene, where I wrote about my neighbor, Irene, who meant so much to me growing up. And I also, ironically, you know, Brad and I will do anything to avoid our neighbors now. You know, I I don't, I never want to see a neighbor. We'll hide in our house. I will wait in the car on the corner until I see them leave. I could go like, if I go 10 years without seeing somebody, like I'm happy, you know, I don't want to ever talk to neighbors. Um, But when I grew up in Queens, you know, the family next door and, and, and the woman who lived next door, Irene, was the closest person in my life next to my parents to me for 40 years, you know, and I was like, that's ironic. <laughs> and so I kind of wrote about that and people have responded to that. And for people to be getting to know Irene in some small way, you know, all these years after she died too, uh, makes me happy. Cause I think a lot of people maybe even had a person like that in their lives and it's a way of honoring that. Was there any stories? Yes, I yes. Was there any stories that, you know, maybe like you said, like this is exposing yourself different than like if you're writing for like Will or Grace, like that you just were like, eh, maybe the next book, this one's too personal for now. You know, a little. There were moments in each. I think that there was one, um, Sister Wilma is when is, is an essay about when I'm in high school, we I had to take football in gym. I didn't have a high uh, gym in my grammar school because our, I went to a Catholic grammar school and we didn't have a gym. The church was where the gym was supposed to be, whatever. They ran out of money. I don't know. But I didn't have gym class until I went to high school. And we took football and I didn't know how to play football. And it was also a very athletic high school. So the kids knew how to play football and you can't fake playing football. Like you just can't fake it. There are certain things. And um, so in order to get out of it, I made this kind of web of lies to the, 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 the nun who was the guidance counselor to get out of that football every time. And it was, um, yeah, there was something about it because it was true because I also felt shame as well at the same, like it, while I was being kind of clever, like I, I figured out my way around this, I don't have to go. I think even writing about it, and I think maybe other gay people will relate to it, it was, and I was honest about how I felt, it was entwined with a bit of shame that I was humiliated that I was made fun of 
that I couldn't do it, that I, I didn't give myself the chance to kind of figure it out. It made me feel like there was something wrong with me that, that I couldn't, that I had to go to these lengths to avoid it. I mean, there's a time I, I actually tried to break my toe in order to avoid going to, to gym class and stuff. And I felt like at the end of it all, the gym teacher kind of knew and it just was all, there was an ick factor to it too. And it went on for like, you know, two months at least. So that was a little weird, you know, kind of <laughs> really being honest about all those kinds of feelings you have when, when you're also, you know, you're at that age, 15, I believe I was. Um, so it's not, it's not, it's still kind of a shitty feeling. And at the same time, it's still kind of a fuck you feeling like go fuck off, you know? So they kind of, sit side by side. So that felt like, yeah, like going back there felt a little, um, huh, that's still, I can still access that. Well, yeah, I was going to say I related to all of that and I hated gym class. I mean, these are, I was like, these are some great ideas, breaking your toe, getting out of it. (laughs) I never tried that, but I was absolutely miserable. And yes, it was shame and you felt like a total failure. Mm -hmm. And it was, and I'm like, just listening to you describe it again there, you're like, well, here I tell you, I can't remember anything in life. And yet I do remember all of this yeah, very well. Or like, I don't really, but now when I read that and like when you recounted this story, I'm like, well, now it's like, it's jarred memory. So I could totally mm-hmm. relate to that particular yeah. story. And I was like, I could see why you wouldn't necessarily really want to include that. Yeah. I mean, I really don't understand why people change their shirt and their shoes and their underwear and everything else every day, but they wear the same pair of glasses. Well, not me. If you look and follow me on Instagram, you'll see I have a different pair of glasses almost every time you see me. And here's the secret. I don't spend a fortune. With pair eyewear, you pick a base and then you pick a bunch of toppers that go over the base. It's really that easy. So for my base, I pick the Finley. They're stylish. They're cool, they're sophisticated, and then I picked a whole bunch of toppers that go over those. So when you see me with like pink camo glasses and green polka dot glasses, it's all the same pair of glasses. I just changed the top. So economical. The base frame started $60, and yes, that includes prescription lenses. They also have sunglasses for the summer, so you can get glasses as unique as you are. One pair, infinite style, starting at just $60. Go to PairEyewear.com slash velvet for 15% off your first purchase. That's 15% off at P-A-I-R, eyewear.com slash velvet. Hey ladies, look, I know you guys work so hard trying to keep that career together, but hopefully you are taking some time to yourselves. If you haven't already done so, you need to discover Dame. Dame is the only one-stop shop you need to discover all your pleasure with their thoughtfully engineered toys. They also, shh, have discreet shipping, hassle-free returns, and the toys are a whole lot of fun. For example, you guys are going to love the Eva. It's a hands-free couples vibrator. It's designed to enhance partner play without getting in the way. Now I got to tell you about the palm for when you're alone. Listen, exploring your pleasure on your own helps you get in touch with, you know, yourself, learn more about what you like, and guess what? 
That leads to better sex with your partner. And like I said, Dame offers hassle-free returns within 60 days, so your satisfaction is literally guaranteed. Power up your pleasure with Palm or any of the other toys from Dame Products. Go to dameproducts.com and enter code VELVETROPE for 15% off your order. That's right, dameproducts.com. Enter code VELVETROPE and you get 15% off. And oh, hey ladies, don't forget to have fun. I got to tell you guys about Radix Remedies. What I love from Radix Remedies the most is their THC gummies. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's a cannabis edible. And I don't know, the THC gummies make me feel great. They enhance my reaction time. They reduce my anxiety and stress. Let's really stress that, no pun intended. Kind of do both at the same time and really help me focus to do this podcast every day. I also love the Sleepy Bears, which are delicious, and yep, they're effective sleep aids. I don't know. My mind doesn't turn off at night. So the Sleepy Bears from Radix Remedies really help. They're cannabis and melatonin infused, and you know, I don't know. If you're not getting sleep, you ain't functioning. It's as simple as that. Radix Remedies has everything. They have topicals and edibles and dry bud and just the possibilities are endless. All of Radix Remedies products can be purchased as monthly subscriptions at reduced rates. There's also free shipping on orders over $35, and you get 15% off with promo code VELVET. Go to RadixRemedies.com, and just for listening to this podcast, you get 15% off with promo code VELVET and free shipping on orders over $35. Do you remember the first thing you kind of wrote? I mean, like, I, you know, I took writing classes in college. I went to Hofstra University and I, and I took writing courses and I did well. And I remember, um, i trying to make this super brief. I wrote in my senior year, this, this story, this short story that won like, like a prize, right? Um, like whatever their, you know, prize was, which wasn't nothing much, but the short story was about these women who worked in a diner in the South and this kid who used to hang around with them or something, something that had nothing to do with my life. So then I briefly, I took, a, I went to graduate school. I took a, a writing class, a different writing class, a whole other, uh, uh, the woman I remember, she was a very accomplished um, author, but she, uh, I, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to give in this, this story that I already wrote. I'm not going to write something new. It was a year later. I'm like, I'll give this story, which won me a prize and I'll get an A. And I was so, you know, cocky and I, she didn't like it. And she was basically like, why are you writing about this? Who are you, Gary? Like, where are you from? What are you? Why, why are you writing about these women in the South at a diner? Like, this is, this is, I don't get any of this. And I was, I left the class. Like, I was like, how dare you? Like, this won a prize. You know, I was so, but I, but I was so unable to take any criticism. I was too, insecure, I'm sure, in what it was that I was doing. So I stopped writing for a while after that, too, because I was so insecure. And she was completely right. She told me 100% what I needed to hear. She was basically saying, which is something that I say to people when I oftentimes read a young person's thing. And I'm like, why are you writing about this? Like, what's your life like? Like, that's what's more interesting, right closer to what, you know, it's right what you know, it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. So it was then, you know, I, I took a few years before I actually went back and I had the confidence to be able to take criticism and to know that I was 
I had flaws and I could get better and I could work harder. But that thing, which I thought was great, but secretly was afraid wasn't, I'm sure it was just fine, you know? And when I got called out for it, I was, it, it, it kind of like stopped me in my tracks and I'm grateful that that happened, but yeah, it stopped me from writing for a few years. So that's the thing that I think of and it, and it, and it became a real lesson for me, you know, and, and I pass it on to people. So they're aware that, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, it's okay for somebody to say something's not great. It doesn't mean you're not a good writer. It means maybe you're hearing something you need to hear. You're like, how dare you? Like, and oh, I was like, oh, my ladies and this one, the writing president Hofstra, a lot, you know, you know, (laughs) best selling Pulitzer nominated writer, you know, like who's, yeah, no, she, she called me out and, um, I wasn't, I wasn't able to take it in in the moment I did but it took me a while before I could say she was right because it was my worst fear you know that somebody was going to say this isn't what you think it is but she wasn't saying it was bad she was just saying like who are you right and yeah so now I, I I've made up for that ever since you know you learn a lesson um, I, I, I learn every lesson once, you know, it's like yeah. you make a mistake, you should learn it fast. You know, that's, that's always to me the, the difference people who kind of are successful in the industry. I find everybody mis- makes mistakes. You know, we all make mistakes. I make each one once, you know, and then, and then you kind of learn. So I've been writing about what I know ever, ever since then. Right. Well, you did start running again and you found your way to Hollywood, The Naked Truth, Family Guy. Like, when were you? I mean, look, Family Guy is like one of the most successful shows of all time. Like, at what point in your career did you say, you know, A, this is real, like I can do this, like and earn a living? And like, did you have like a big splurge, like when you first said, like, wow, here's like a first big Oh, check. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. I thought, um, well, the first thing was my first job. Nothing ever felt was, which was The Naked Truth, which I'm sure most people don't know, but it was a sitcom from the 90s starring Taya Leone and Holland Taylor, who I adored. I, I adored both of them. And I got the job. It was actually my first meeting ever. And I got the job in the room during the interview. I knew nothing. I'd only been in LA a few months. I had previously to that, I was a bellman at the Paramount Hotel and in massive debt. And I and I moved out to LA on a whim and um so I didn't know how anything worked. So I got the job in the room. I was like, I'm in, this is how LA works. And then I found how much I made, which was like, you know, the base salary for a staff writer. And previous to that, you know, I'd been, you know, working for tips. So I was like, I'm rich. You know, I never even had made a salary. So I was like, from now on, I will, when I go to New York, I will never take the subway again because I had taken the subway and buses for so many years. I was like, I don't ever want to have to do it again. And yes, my splurge was going to be, I will never do that again. And that lasted for maybe a year. <laughs> I was like, what am I doing? Like the subway is cheap and efficient. I'm like, who do you think you are? You have to take the subway again. So that didn't last very long, but I thought that was my idea of, you know, being successful, not having to take the subway anymore. That's funny. Well, what about, look at, let's talk about Will and Grace. I mean, where do we even begin? You know, when we mention like one of truly the best TV shows that's ever existed and has just, I mean, look, you were a writer, you were a producer, EP, showrunner, like just what overall top line was like being on Will and Grace for that many years like? You know, and as, a, as another gay man, I think you'll understand this. 
a gay woman, any queer person, I think will understand this. I had been working, by the time I got Will and Grace, I don't know, like uh, seven years maybe in TV. And every show, you know, as I said before, kind of like, you know, I was always writing what I know, but sometimes you have to bend it, right? So I'm writing who I am. I'm writing my, my, what I want to say. I'm writing my voice, but I'm bending it through straight characters a lot of the time. I'm finding the way in. I'm having to find the way in because I am not, you know, the protagonist in this universe. I am somebody who has to find my path through as, as a gay man. Will and Grace was so important for me to get because people even forget at the time there was no show like that on TV where no. we were, you know, we were the protagonists, you know, it was our universe. The world was seen through our eyes and we'd never seen it. And also, you know, it was really fucking funny and getting on it. I really was like, I, I was, you know, I wasn't on it from the beginning and I was like, I, I need to be on this show. I want to be on it so badly. And it was, um, there weren't a lot of gay writers. I think there was, you know, John and Joni, Max had left by the time I came on the show. So there were, there were, I think, for the most part, there were three of us out of, out of maybe 10, 12 writers at different times. And it felt like, oh my God, in writing that show, this is what it must be like for straight people. Because we were, you know, it was our world. It was, you know, Will and Jack. And for the most part, you know, Grace and Karen also kind of were gay men. But Will and Jack, definitely, they were, they were the heroes of the story. They were the protagonists. And it was our story. And I had never been in a situation before where, and Will and I were similar, you know, similar age, Eric and I are, are, are I think there are similarities in us. And um, so it was even on another level. And yeah, I was like, this must be what it's like to be straight. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. It was the first time I ever felt that. I was like, how fun. <laughs> like, I was like, oh my God, it must be so great for them to be like this all the time where you don't ever have to kind of, you know, bend around what you're thinking, kind of figure out your way in. You're already, it's your world. You're in charge of the world. So it was very liberating and it's still, and it was something I knew that, um, a feeling that I wouldn't forget, you know, what that was like. And I was fortunate that it also happened to me kind of, you know, at a pretty young age. And I was super grateful for that. It was also like a lot of fun, you know, it was, it, it was a yeah. lot of fun to do, but yeah, being a gay man, it, it very much was a kind of a game changer for me. I just felt like it's nice to feel like this. <laughs> Did you have somebody favorite to write for, like out of Will, Grace, Jack, and Karen? Yeah, Karen. I mean, I love writing them all, but Karen, totally. <laughs> uh, Karen's fun, right? I mean, they're all fun. Not to but... anything. I mean, Karen was great. It's also because Megan, you know, you can only do that with certain characters when the actor is not only so brilliant, 
but so winning and vulnerable. So Megan was just very human in everything she did. And, and she has an innate likableness and vulnerability. So she could say anything, no matter how horrible it was. It was always coming through her, you know, and she was so brilliant. So she could say things that and get away with things that I think uh, in a different actor's hands, you know, that you that, wouldn't be able to get away with. That makes sense to me. Do you have like a high or like a story, like a storyline that was your favorite or, you know, some like high or like a favorite episode from all those years? It's not so much an episode. There was It's more of a scene and it was in the last season of the show. I used to like when the show would do more serious episodes and more serious moments because I felt the show had earned that by being so funny. And for me, I found it interesting when they were being really real and vulnerable and we weren't so focused on the jokes um, because it it made you understand how much you actually really cared about these characters. And in one of the last episodes of the series, Will's father died. And they have a wake and all of the past people that have been on the show too. We always liked to keep recurring characters in the universe of the show. And Will, and I loved Blythe Danner who plays Will's mother. I loved her on the show. And she was always kind of um, cold the way we played their aloof with Will, the way we played their relationship. So it was interesting. I wanted to do something where we got to see her point of view a little bit, the mother's point of view, not just Will's. And they have a scene in the laundry room where Will kind of breaks down about his father's death a little. And then he's upset with his mother and he asks her, you know, you've never, you've never asked questions about my life. You know, you don't ask, you're not interested in my life. You haven't been interested in my life. And her response is, because you're so private, you never tell us anything about your life. You know, you're so closed off about your life. You don't share with us. You know, you don't share with me. And I loved that scene. It felt very real to me. And, and sometimes it happens too between gay men and, and their, their family members. You know, we feel like we want you to be interested, but we can also, you know, not reveal, you know, stuff. So it's kind of like a two-part thing. And it was nice for them to have this real kind of scene together so you could see her side of it, you know? Yeah, I do know. What about the opposite? Like anytime where you're like, this jumps the shark, like I'm outvoted here. I don't want to write this, but you know, here, here we go. Do you know, I can't remember anything like that. The only thing I do remember is we did a live episode in the last season, which was fun. We did one live episode. And then there was a second live episode because the ratings were so good. They wanted to do another. And I was like, let's stop with the with the one that was good. Let's not do another. It's less special. We shouldn't do another. So I was outvoted on that. We did do another live episode. And I, don't, that, and I don't remember the second one. So there you go. <laughs> I just remember the first one. I don't really remember the second one either. But that yeah, the first anything. one was super fun. And it was it was great. But the, I was yeah, the second one. I, did, I don't even remember. But I know we did it. And I was like, OK, you're right. You're like, listen, a live episode is not like, easy. Okay. like let's yeah. not tempt. Yeah, I was like, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure it was fun. What about do you have a favorite like recurring like guest star or just even a guest star that came on for a one episode? Is it? Yeah, the guest stars, you know, there were a lot of guest stars uh, on the show. I loved when uh, Britney Spears came on. She was actually so lovely and so game. And it was during that time, I think, where she was getting a lot of, it was around the time where they, they were giving her shit in the press on ridiculously that now we see how cruel that was uh, to her. And I loved her when she was on the show. She was sweet and she was funny. And the episode was funny. She was really good. I thought she was terrific. I loved when Jennifer Lopez was on. She was also 
game, super funny, super lovely. Uh, and Gene Wilder, who's since passed away, I've always been a massive fan of Gene Wilder. And I love Bobby Cannavale, who played Will's boyfriend. He was always my favorite partner for Will. I loved the two of them together. And of course, Leslie Jordan, it's Beverly Leslie. Bobby that. was, I was going to ask you who was Will's favorite yeah, boyfriend. Bobby, I loved out. him. And he was from Queens because I'm from Queens. And he was kind of had a more middle, middle working class background in Queens. And we went to his house once for an episode for, I think it was Thanksgiving, which I also love that episode. It's a very, fu- it's a very funny episode. <laughs> Grace sleeps with his cousin or his brother or something that he, she finds out after he's like 16 <laughs> like it was like something I don't think you could do now but it was really funny I don't maybe they don't sleep together they kind of you know fool around but it was a super funny um episode and I love the two of them together and I know they liked working together too see like what a brilliant show you wrote it I've seen it and like here we are like actually laughing at this concept all these years later even though we already know it and it's already happened and we've already seen it like that shows you it like withstands the test of time what about just speaking of guest stars, let's talk for a minute about Madonna, the queen. What was that uh-huh. like? How was it like to have Madonna there? You know, I'll always have a soft spot for Madonna because of what she did for the gay community and the way she was an early ally when there weren't a lot, especially during a time of AIDS. And she was very outspoken and fearless. So that to me is something I won't forget. I will say this. The part of the part she was supposed to play was um, Karen gets a job in this episode. Karen gets a job for whatever reason. I don't remember, but she like she becomes a woman. She works in an office. She gets a job in an office building. And she the, the idea was she meets another woman there who's like an executive secretary, the kind of woman who wears her sneakers on the subway and carries her shoes in her bag and goes to a happy hour after work and is not like, but thinks she's kind of like, you know, like a big deal in her tiny office and Karen becomes enamored of her. So she was supposed to wear like, you know, I guess what Anne Klein two suits with sneakers and be the kind of woman you'd see on the subway. And Madonna as that, is very funny. And also Karen really looking up to her, super funny. But Madonna didn't want to wear any of those clothes. So she wears very long blonde hair extensions and these outfits. So she looked fabulous, but as a result, it was about 50% less funny than it should have been. So I feel like, oh, that's too bad because it could have been really funny and it wasn't because as funny as it could have been because of that. So that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> when did you find out that Madonna didn't want to wear these clothes? Oh, we did. You know, she was at a fitting with a wardrobe person and it was kind of like Madonna's got her own clothes, her own hair. And it's Madonna, you know, and she was, you know, at the height of her fame and there's no, you know, whatever she wants, she's going to do. And it's hard to tell. I don't know if she has a particularly good sense of humor. So I don't, it's hard to tell somebody that's used to, you know, and that's clearly gone very, very far in the world by trusting what it is that they want to do, that in this scenario, you being on the show, people will enjoy this more if you trust, you know, this and, and do it, do it all the way this way, it will be a lot funnier. But there was, I don't, that wasn't like a conversation that was going to happen. <laughs> it was just like, she's wearing this. I was like, okay. We even had jokes we had to change because of what Karen said, maybe based on what she was wearing or like that didn't make sense anymore. I was like, well, now this doesn't really make sense. And now, so like it's a, this 
percent less funny now. But what are you just because of the clothes, like the joke, wouldn't make sense just because anymore. she wasn't that fabulous. I mean, she looked like Madonna. She looked like a rich, fabulous celebrity. <laughs> so, which wasn't what the character was. But she was game, you know, when she, when she was on the show, and she was also funny. I was going to say, Gary, would you want to walk and knock on the door or pick up the phone and reach out to Madonna and say, listen, this is Gary Gidetti from Will and Grace, and I would like you to change the clothes. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to do that. Personally, you know, at the time when she was on the show, I was not running the show, but I, and I would have no problem saying that. I would have, I, I mean, if they don't, I, I would have no problem with, with trying to talk anybody into doing something that I, that I, when I know there's not a lot that I know, you know, there's not a lot that I know. I'm very, it's very easy for me to say all the things that I don't know and defer on certain subjects completely. But when I'm certain that this will be funnier, you are here to be funny, right? You have come here to be funny. So I am certain that if you do it this way, it will be a lot funnier. So I will do everything in my power to do everything that I can, because that's the one thing I know. Like I know that that will make it funnier. And by you not doing this, you are making it less funny. So are you certain, you know, you want to do this because we will, we can do it that way, but it will not be as funny. So I, I can, I, I can talk to anybody. I, I don't care. Like, I feel like it, I need to, I can't keep my mouth shut when I know something is, somebody's making something less funny. That makes, I say that all the time. I'm like, I know nothing about anything in life, really. So I, but when it comes to certain things with work, I'm like, trust me, this is the way to do yeah, it. Yeah, everything right. else, I'm a mess. And I, whatever you say, completely. Goes, I don't know anything about anything, but here, yeah, I know what I'm doing. This is, yeah, completely. Right. Yes. Just give yeah. me one thing, people. But then like that with Ian McKellen, I did a sitcom in the UK, Vicious with Ian McKellen and Derek mm-hmm. Jacoby. And they played a couple that had been together um, almost 50 years. And in the first episode, uh, Iwan Rayan is their neighbor. He's Ramsey Bolton from Game of Thrones. People know him as. He comes in the first episode and Ian and Derek are, you know, they welcome, they like seeing him, you know, because he's, he's, they're, they're very solicitous of him. They're like, stay, we'll make tea. They go into the other room and then uh, Iwan opens, sees a cord and opens it. And, and this massive wall we think is behind the set is just this dark wall. It's actually a huge window. And he opens the window and the room floods with sunlight. And Ian and Derek walk back in and in the script, they're supposed to be like the light, the light. And they shrink from it. And they go back in the, the kitchen and then he closes the curtains and then they come back through as if nothing had happened. And they were like, we don't want to do this. We're not doing it. Like, what are we, vampires? No, we're we're people. We're not vampires. We won't do it. And it was the first episode during rehearsal. And I was like, well, (laughs) like, and it's Ian McKellen. And when he's telling you he's not going to do something, believe me, it's he, you really feel it. I, I had to just say, you need to trust me. We're suspending disbelief and the, the universe allows this. They are being playful with this young man. But yes, this is a window they never open. This is like, it will work. It will be funny. You have to trust me. And they did. They agreed to do it. And I was then so, I was like, oh my God, now I promise that this is going to work. And it's like the, the prop has to work. The, you know, it's a gag that has to, everything has to work perfectly. And, you know, and then they got three big laps, but they were doing it, you know, and it was like, and it worked. And it was like the, everybody's favorite moment in, in the first episode. But I was like, oh, thank God. You're <laughs> like, okay, really, put myself out on a limb I promise but it was that situation I was like I know this if I capitulated and said they don't want to do it I don't know make them uncomfortable we would have I could project myself to the night in front of the audience and we get to that 
spot and it would suddenly be dead. <laughs> so they'd want something there, you know? So it's like, it's, you know, I need to be able to communicate and say, you have to trust me because I, I, I believe this will work. I cannot promise it, but I can give you like a 90%, you know, accuracy kind of a thing. But yeah, it is. It's like, like you said, it's like the only thing I know. <laughs> like, I can't promise a lot of things. It's like this, this I, I, I have a really good instinct for. I totally get it. Before we quickly move on from Adonis, I have one more question. Is this true? I don't even know if you know where they say like, you know, she didn't know anyone's name. She didn't know Deborah Messing's name. She sent her flowers and said like, used a different name. Like she didn't know anyone's name on the set. Is this true? Uh, kind of. Yeah. I, I, she did send the cast flowers, but I believe when she sent them flowers after she was on the show, she sent them all their proper names. Uh, during the table read, which is when you sit around the table and read the script, which she, you know, arrived late to with an entourage that was, and made a moment. And it was, it's a very down to earth kind of scenario. It's like, it was unnecessary. So it already started in a weird note. And in the script, she <laughs> had to say, she said something to Jack. She's like, and to Jack. And then she looks over to um, uh, Eric and Sean and, and is like, um, I'm sorry, which one is Jack? I've never seen the show during the table read. So she didn't know who anybody was. And I think it was kind of, um, I don't know what kind of a bit that is to tell you the truth, but it was, yes, there was this sense of like letting people know that I don't really know who people are on this, you know? So that happened. I'm sure that made Eric. Okay, that's a nice little inside tidbit. <laughs> the, the exact. <laughs> I'm sure that makes Eric and Sean feel wonderful when they're on this top-rated show. <laughs> they had a really good sense of humor about it. I know Eric said something super funny, which I don't remember, but he Eric was the one who got the laugh. So there you go. What about before we move on? What about Cher? I mean, you know, if you couldn't tell, I was gay. I mean, these are the things I want to ask about. I how, how was Cher? Cher um, I was not there when Cher was on the show. And uh, devastated because I adore Cher and Cher would be, would have been the first person that I mentioned. Cher is in my first book. I talk about her as being like literally, you know, repre- you know, our gay, the, the, the gay everything when Cher was on TV, it was where you went to feel less alone. Um, yeah, I adore her and, and I wish to God I was there, but everybody, everybody loved her when she was on the show, adored. She's, I've met her. She's Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Person. Oh, lucky you. Yes. Yeah. I love her so much. If you really wanted to meet her and you reached out, you can make <laughs> it happen. Trust me. Like I, that, I know for sure. You and Brad, it, it, you'll, you'll make it happen. Okay. What about, you know, like you point to like Bobby Carnavale, like how much of, because like, you know, we're from reading this book and your first book, like, you know, a lot of these coming of age stories and like you were looking for your Prince Charming. I think you refer to the fact that you'd rather have theater tickets than go to yeah. like Jay's <laughs> hangout for a circle jerk. But, you know, so how much of like Will's dating life was based on you and like just experiences you had if, if at all, maybe, maybe some, you know, I think it was a c- cumulative of all, you know, all of us, you know, it was definitely everybody was drawing on that show. Everybody drew from their own lives, which was a great thing about the show. So the, everybody who worked on the show, um, especially the people who've been there for very long periods of time, got to incorporate a lot of their personalities into and, and things that actually happened to them into the storylines and into the characters. So it was, that was a nice thing. And I mean, before we move on from Will and Grace, hindsight's twenty twenty. but like, 
you know, at what point, you know, like when you have like Joe Biden, you know, who says like, you know, Will and Grace did more to like to educate people on like LGBTQIA issues, you know, gay marriage just overall than almost anything else ever is pretty much what he said. Like, how does that feel? And like, could you tell at some point from your years there, like, you know, like, could you tell like that this was going to be bigger than you and me and the show and just everything? No, you know, it was fun, you know, no, but it does speak to what people also, we, we continue to speak about and how important it is, uh, visibility. It's visibility. We weren't really visible before, right? And um, so people liked Will and Jack. Therefore, they liked gay people. You know, it was kind of, but we were visible in a way that we hadn't been before. And that's so important. And you, you see it going forward. And I, and I do think Will and Grace was, was the beginning of building blocks of a lot of shows that came after, like Modern Family, which you were really seeing a, a beautiful relationship between two men over the course of, you know, 11 years, I think that show ran. Then you get Pose, which now we're getting to go into, you know, a, a point of time in New York where we were all very vulnerable through the trans community and the gay community and people of color. And the ball culture. And so, you know, you're seeing, so it's, it's making people visible, the more we're visible um, and the more any, you know, disenfranchised people and, 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 and uh, people become visible. I think the more we get to know each other <laughs> and that's super important. And the fact that Will and Grace did that through a, a way that was just really funny, you know, the, the, for, the goal was always for the show to be as funny as possible. And everything else kind of just, you know, fell into place. Yeah. Well, listen, you did meet your Prince Charming and it all I worked did. out. <laughs> listen, I must, you know, like you said, I'm a self-respecting gay man. I've been to Mykonos many times. I've never brought home a husband, but. I like, did. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, you did. I mean, is this true? Like you met on a beach? I mean, you and Brad met on a beach walking. We didn't meet on a beach. Okay. We, we met in Mykonos. Uh, it'll be. This July will be 21 years ago, but we met uh, in the evening. I was at a restaurant having dinner with a friend and it was Nico's Taverna where it's super crowded, like thousands of people walked by. It couldn't be more like more of a main thoroughfare in town in, in July. And I just saw Brad kind of going by walking with this other man. And I said to my friend, who's that? I want to meet him. And he said, my friend, the person that he's walking with, I happened to talk to earlier today. And then they walked literally right by our table. And my friend said hello to his friend. And I was left with Brad. And I said hi to him. And we started talking and we literally have not been apart since he came with us on the rest of our trip. He moved into my hotel room that next morning and came with us to Santorini, just traveled with us. Then I went back to LA and he came, I'm going to say five days later to visit. So he's still, I'm making air quotes, people listening. He's still visiting 21, <laughs> 21 years later. We said, this is weird. Let's just see how this goes. No promises. We'll take it one day at a time as much as we are enjoying each other. Let's just not have put any expectations on each other. So I still say that to him. I'm like, let's see where this is going. <laughs> no pressure, no expectations. You're like, remember, this is just a visit. Yeah, I'm like, you're still here. Huh. <laughs> wow, well, that is just, I mean, you would, yeah. Is this why I'm single? Because I don't just, I mean, you just jumped in, but it, like in a great way, like yeah. as you should. It, it wasn't normal. You know, I met him when I was 35, so it wasn't normal for me um, 
to do that either, you know, and Brad's 11 years younger than I am. So, but I knew myself enough to know that I hadn't felt that way with anybody before. Like I knew that I hadn't felt, you know, this, this way with any of my previous relationships or anybody. So it was worth, uh, so I, I should listen to that. I would, that's, I was smart enough to say, you need to listen to this because this, you know, this is different. So. And you just um, knew like, that's what they say when you know, you know. Yeah, it is. I know. Isn't it weird? And I never used to believe that either, but I definitely was like, I think I'm, you know, after a day, I was like, I think I'm going to fall in love with this person and and I don't want to let this person go. Wow. So then how was it, you know, here you are, like you said, like you're like 11 years older, you know, Brad moves in, you know, yeah. Hollywood life, like you are, you know, you have everything going on. Not that Brad didn't, Brad had plenty going he, yeah, on. Yeah, he didn't at the time. Yeah. He I mean, didn't at the time. Yeah. And so then just from like, listen, you know, like, I always like to talk about concept, not that we're going to dive into this because that's like a five hour discussion, but like, you know, fame and the concept of fame and like Hollywood, you know, so here you are. And then, so what is it like for you? You know, technically you were the one working in the business. And then like seven years later when, you know, Brad is now on like the Rachel project and we don't need to dive into Rachel because we know we don't want to talk about that, but like just (laughs) Brad being in like the public eye and like, was that an interesting like dynamic shift for you at the time? It was, it was kind of an interesting dynamic shift. Yeah. But, you know, I always knew the only way a relationship was going to work with me and certainly with me and Brad is if he had his own independent career and life and followed his own passions and dreams. I wasn't interested in somebody who was, was, um, sad, who would be satisfied just being a person who was, you know, kind of like an adjunct to my life, you know, who my friends were their friends, you know, my, like I needed somebody if I was going to have a partner, I'm the kind of person who needs somebody who's independent and who follows what it is that they want to do. And Brad absorbed that in a big way. And he was always, you know, fashion was his thing. So he built his own on his own, very big independent life. So yeah, once he did the Rachel Zoe project and he became kind of like a person on that show that people really liked, um, I was so happy for him and so proud of him. But yeah, there were there were um, some moments, very stars born moments where we were in a restaurant. It was like, I don't have a Gennetti, but I have a Goreski. I was like, uh-huh. I was like, that's me. That's our table. But, you know, we could um, like have fun with it. I was just so, you know, proud of him and so happy to see him having his own success. That was hard one that he worked really hard for um, and that he's really good at, you know, if you're good at something and you work your ass off, you know, things happen. Were you into fashion before Brad? I was, I I, I did like that. Yeah. I mean, I've always been interested in fashion. I don't like fashion people. I think it's definitely not my world. I I find it to be humorless and um, very um, vicious and, and the, the social hierarchy. I think the Met Gala, it's just like, uh, people are like, why aren't you guys at the Met Gala? I'm like, do you really think Anna Wintour is inviting me to the Met Gala? I'm like, I'm not going to the Met Gala, nor do I want to go. Like, there's no, so this is like the most horrifying nightmare to be anything. So it's not a world that I want to be a part of, but I love fashion. I like clothes. I like fashion. And I was always very interested in fashion and, and, um, 
So I, when Brad, I, I was literally like would steer him, you know, when we first met, I'm like, Hey, maybe this, not that, <laughs> you know? So I think um, I had my own influence on him then. And now he has his influence on me. So it's kind of a nice uh, thing. Once he's in fashion so much, I also became less interested in it. I was like, you, you can do it for both of us now. You can go to the Met Gala if you get invited. Yeah, I'm you can do all that stuff home. or like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go anywhere. Go find someone else to bring for the night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about when like It's a Brad, Brad World came out and now, you know, you've had this career in Hollywood, but you're like behind the camera producing, writing, like when you were actually on the screen, was that like an interesting concept for you? Like, did you like being part of a reality show as the town, yeah. as they say? Yeah, well, I like learning anything. I think when life gives you opportunities, um, take them. Whenever you have an opportunity to take a trip, take it. Like there are things you learn. It's like, if you're questioning, I don't know. Yes, do do a thing when you get, I would never seek it out. I didn't want, when Brad did the Rachel Zoe project, um, he was on it, I think three or four years, I don't remember. And, um, but I said, I never want to be mentioned by name. You can never film at the house. I don't exist on the show because it was also, a, it wasn't my show. I had no control over it. I wasn't interested in being in the background on, on some, I was like, not, I was like, no, thank you. That that's not for me. I also didn't want, I was very protective of my career and I, and I didn't want to be on a reality show. It was just not who I was. I'm like, I've worked hard for this career. By the time his opportunity came, I kind of shifted how I thought about it. It was like, it didn't seem like that big a deal anymore. I was kind of like, okay. And the only way he would be able to have his own show, obviously, is if he could show his home life. So I had to be a part of it. Um, so I said, okay. And it was an interesting thing. We're probably the only couple on a reality show that got closer doing a reality show because we got close. We got to share this weird thing together, you know, and I got to understand what it's like to be, how that all works, you know? So it was an interesting kind of fun thing for me to be a part of. We're not very dramatic. We don't really fight a lot, rarely at all. And our attitude was we want to go into this celebrating kind of the people around us. And um, so it was fun. Yeah. It was super fun. And and because again, it was something that just like came landed in my lap, but I was like, when else is is Bravo going to come to me and be like, Hey, do you want to be on a reality show? We'll start filming next week at your house. Just say yes. I was like, okay. Do you think you would have said no to the Rachel Zoe, like just in the background now? Cause like you said, like I I I would never still, I still couldn't control that. I would never do that. Right. Yeah, this was different. It was Brad and me. So I knew what that would be. But I wouldn't do something that that um, like that. I, I have no interest in, I don't, I don't know those people really. So I don't want to be a part of, I'm, I'm not going to be a part of something that I don't really know. And, and I, so I can't really contribute to that either. That makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, speaking of reality TV, like, listen, you have all these great accomplishments, but I want to talk about your other great accomplishment. Let's talk about your friendship with Lisa Rinna. I mean, we have to put that up there as far as like things you've accomplished in life. Where, <laughs> where did this start? What is it? What is it? Like what brought you and Rinna together? Uh, well, I adore Lisa. I mean, obviously. And um, she, we met, we've met socially, Brad knew Lisa socially, um, throughout the years. Um, so I had met Lisa several times um, previous to our social media friendship. And then when I started becoming like a thing on social media, she started responding Gary to my posts. And we started kind of having this weird 
also a relationship where we kind of communicated in a bit through social media. So through that, that's how we became close and we became um, actual friends as opposed to acquaintances. What is the best thing about being friends with Lisa Renna? <laughs> She'll tell us what's going, what's going on behind the scenes on Beverly Hill. <laughs> we, get, we get the inside scoop. We'll just text her for it. <laughs> that's, I mean, listen, you watch all the housewives, right? We watch all, we do. We pretty much, the only housewives I think I've never seen is any of is Dallas. Everything else, yes. Well, Dallas is canceled anyway at the moment. Yeah, so I never saw it. Uh, you know, it. there was just, I, I, you know, but we've seen all of the others. Uh, and we watch, um, yeah, all of the others now. Beverly mm-hmm. Hills being the favorite. What do you, that's by far your favorite? Not by far, but it's, it's our favorite. I think we both, um, yes. What do you think, you know, you're in the business, you know, like, what do you think of like some housewife developments? Like, you know, the fact that we're going to have two Ronies now, we're going to have two New Yorks. I mean, do we like this? Do we not like this? I like that. I know. I love that. I think it's, I think it's smart. And I think it's, I mean, I don't know who is going to be on either show. So it's also hard to completely say, because I don't know who the casts are, but um, I think it's a, I think it's a, a clever idea to look these shows are our modern day soap operas now you know these and and i think that andy was genius and kind of andy and i have a similar love of soap operas we grew up on abc soaps all my children one life to live and um he kind of saw you know that this is a way the current way to kind of create soap operas and it it was very prescient because now these shows it used to seem like they would have to end at some point, but the way they replenish casts and now you can kind of split it up, you know, New York, they can go on, you know, I mean, Days of Our Lives been off like, you know, 50 years. So, I mean, who yes, knows, you know, how long, but it's a very, uh, yeah, interesting way. Now we look at it like, I didn't like that season. I like this season, you know, it's like, you know, you have this, it, there's this kind of acceptance and understanding that they're going to continue going on. And just like soap operas, to your point, it's like people came back all the time. Let's bring right. this person back. Like Sheree is back on Atlanta. So for me, I fucking love Sheree. So the fact that she's back on Atlanta is now Atlanta's appointment TV for me. Because I'm like, Sheree's back this season. Like, I've missed Sheree. I think she's one of the best housewives ever that there's ever been. She's just so funny. I and, um, agree. I just love her. <laughs> She's got given the best moments. And Marlo has a peach. Atlanta's, I think it's going to be a good Atlanta Marlo. season. Yeah, yeah. Love Marlo. Always love Candy and Kenya. I'm very happy with like the season, like the, the cast of the season. But I love Atlanta. What about, and this, it really doesn't have that much to do with Nini. It's just me because I say things here that I have my own opinion. Like, can someone come back? just as a someone who's worked in Hollywood, I'm just curious what your opinion is. Like, you know, like Nini is suing Bravo. We don't need to get into all the logistics of that. But like, can someone do that and then come back? Just in your opinion, as far as someone like who has worked in Hollywood? I'd like to think that they could. I thought Nini was, was terrific on the show. And I think she's also like so funny and she's such a big part of Atlanta. I don't know the specifics of what's going on. I haven't followed it. Um, but um, I, I do, I would hope that they're, 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 that's possible. You know, there's a resolution. I always hope resolution in anything is it's kind of possible. Same here. Well, you know, Andy often says, I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but Andy often says, you know, we might toy with the idea of like a gay man as a housewife. Not he's open to all different cities and, 
you know, who knows if that's going to happen. So if that ever happens in Beverly Hills, would you ever be interested? You know, <laughs> they want a certain age. They want someone to be accomplished, have things going on. This sounds like you, Gary. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't like going out and I don't like drama. So I can't imagine that we would be a very good fit. I was going to say, well, what about Brad? I mean, what if Brad was the housewife and you were the house husband? Then you don't yeah. have to go out as much. Again, I don't like to go to parties. I don't like functions. I don't like events. And I don't like fighting with people. And I don't like drama. So I don't see how, how that would be a good fit. That may not be a good fit. What about like before we wrap up, I have just two more quick Like as you watch Beverly Hills and you get spoilers, like, listen, a lot of people dislike your good friend, Lisa Rinna. A lot of people say she is like, you know, Billy and like Taylor McBride have nothing on Lisa Rinna. Like this is the role that she was meant to play, like the genius, most brilliant housewife of all time. Like, yeah. where do you fall? And when you watch and like, you see things like, oh, Lisa, stay out of it. Like, do you scream at your TV, even having spoilers, like where you'll call Ren and say like, listen, girl, like, you know, you're stirring it up here. Like, come on. I've never had, I mean, I get that, you know, it's a TV show. So I don't take, I'm not so invested in it. Like, I'm not like a crazy person who's like <laughs> talking back to the thing. So no, then nothing has happened where I feel like, oh my God, you know, I'm just like, I, I think she's great television. I think she's smart. I think she's funny. Um, and anybody who is a strong personality, who has strong opinions is polarizing. And it's just the world we live in. You know, there are people that, you know, can't stand me and my, you know, it's like, that's just what it is. If you have a strong point of view about something, you'll always, so I think, yeah, she's, she's very much her own person. And I think that's why she's such good TV. I, I think so. I mean, I think she's one of the, one of the greats of all time. And yeah, so do even I. though you say you're not a crazy person, you don't scream at the TV and you know that it's not real, <laughs> you would be surprised. I'm not sure that. <laughs> most people understand that but as we wrap up what do you want people to take away from this brilliant book oh well me. <laughs> you know I think I would like when I was a kid I was very lonely and, and and up until I graduated high school and I was always kind of looking for a connection and if the book connects with anybody who has felt similarly and and that I, I would like them to take away with like being seen as somebody else who kind of recognizes that um, in you and in me and stuff. And if people kind of, yeah, feel like, oh, I'm less alone now or somebody else kind of gets this. If anybody took that away from it, I, I would, that would make me super happy. Well, I took it away from that. Okay. You know, you're, you're like Jim's story and it, it's really fucking funny too. So, you know, Thanks, thank you David. for writing a bunch of essays that are really funny. And you know what this means? The next time you come back, you're going to be promoting your third book because, you know, you don't oh, have God. two New York Times bestsellers. <laughs> I mean, I hate to give you things. I'm just thinking somebody at the oh. publishing company has you like your name on a board today. And they're like, contact him for third book, New York Times bestseller number two. You know how that, you know okay. that's how it works. I need a minute before that. I don't know what it'll be, but all right. Give me a minute. Take, take a minute. Where can everyone find you online and follow your Instagram as well, which is so funny. Thanks. Well, at Gary Gennetti. Um, and 
yeah, you can get the book now anywhere. My first book just came out. Do you mind if I cancel in paperback? I love supporting independent bookstores, um, but Amazon, Barnes and Noble, obviously, and just go to your local bookstore because that's what I do. I go to like my local bookstore and look at books still like, you know. Me too. I, I like person. a hard, I like a hard copy. Yeah, I like going in. I like, what do you guys recommend? You know, there's something, nothing beats keeping those independent bookstores kind of going. So I love when anybody has kind of gotten my book um, one of the, um, at one of those stores. I love it. Well, listen, say hi to Brad. I appreciate you I taking will. an hour of your time. You know, come back any day you want. You've been a delight. Thanks, David. It was really my pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.